is from the book of Numbers, beginning at chapter 27. Then drew near the daughters of Zelophead, the son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, from the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. The names of his daughters were Machla, Noha, Hokla, Milcah, and Tirzah. And they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest and before the leaders and all the congregation at the door of the tent of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died of his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his family? Because he had no son. Give to us a possession among our father's brethren. Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, The daughters of Zelophead are right. You shall give them possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren, and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. And you shall say to the people of Israel, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. If his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his kinsman that is next to him of his family, and he shall possess it. It shall be to the people of Israel a statute and ordinance, as the Lord commanded Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Chapter 27, my brothers and sisters, is divided into two parts. Tonight, the ordinances governing the inheritances of the promised land. And then Saturday night, the, uh, the choice of a successor to replace Moses and lead God's people to the west side of the Jordan. Each section begins with a short story. Tonight we heard the story of the daughters of Zelophead. Five sisters, the only offspring of a man who had died a natural death in the wilderness, they come and approach Moses and complain that if the current laws limiting the inheritance of real estate were to obtain, their own father's memory would be obliterated from Israel's history. The resolution of this problem, by which these five women may obtain the inheritance of their dead father, was not prompted by an impulse to treat men and women equally in the inheritance laws. Had this been the case, their own treatment would not be regarded as an exception. On the contrary, the sole interest governing this decision was the preservation of the memory of these sisters' father. It was not a concern for the women themselves. 
modern readers might like to see here, an initial stab in the direction of women's rights, but there's nothing of the sort. It's a simple case, it's a simple matter of what's called case law, case law, if such and such and such and such, and if such and such, and there's all these ifs, all these hypotheses. The resolution of this individual case tonight also provided the context for further legal determinations respecting the inheritance of property. In every instance considered here, the governing principle of inheritance was proximity in consanguinity. The goal sought in this legislation was to maintain real estate attached to the family. That is to say, the major preoccupation in these rules was to guarantee that a family's inheritance really meant something concrete. It meant solid, indestructible, landed property. Now in Holy Scripture, little or no attention is given to what we call private property. In fact, for all practical purposes, the Bible doesn't know anything about private property. It just, it's, a, it's not a biblical concept. In fact, it's not even a human concept. It's a, it's a modern fabrication, uh, private property. The modern concept of private property is part of the modern preoccupation with individual rights. One of, these, one of these individual rights is the, is the right to own private property. We, we, that's so much presumed in our culture. We're hardly aware of the problems, moral problems, social problems attached to that. The two notions, private property and individual rights, are so deeply embedded in modern consciousness the mind needs to receive a jar, as it were, a jolting, to look at the subject critically. I was listening to Moody Radio a long time, driving back through Indiana the day, listening to Moody Radio and constantly adjusting the, the radio so I could get the closest Moody station came past Kokomo, they have their own Moody station. During all that time I was listening, absolutely nothing was said on this subject. Uh, and I haven't said much on the subject because I, I don't know, perhaps, probably because I know I've, I've certainly taught it when I was teaching school, but I probably haven't said that much here. I guess I'm sort of presuming it. You see, in the Bible, property is never private. It's always patrimonial. It's transgenerational. It belongs to a family. It's part of a family's identity. Even the notion of making a will, a will, now, 
wills have been made from time immemorial. But nowadays, it's not even presumed that the, that the property is going to stay in the family. A lot depends on, because the property is, in modern thought is invested in individu individual, he makes out a will and say who he's going to give it to, it becomes a legal transaction. And therefore, it can be taxed. If you don't see a problem yet, follow me a little more. Okay. In the Bible, property is an aspect of what we call inheritance. Property is traditional in the sense of being handed on. In the Bible, the goal, the ideal, is that everybody be born into property. It might not be very much, but everybody's supposed to be born into property. Property pertains to the very identity of a family. In the Bible, the one thing you're absolutely not permitted to do ever is to alienate property from a family. There are all sorts of prohibitions through the Bible against the alienation of property from a family. Because property is an agent of intergenerational cohesion. We're very much, I'm afraid, we modern people, we're very much the disciples of Thomas Jefferson. And for Thomas Jefferson, the only generation that counts is the one that's alive now. That's not the Bible's view at all. Recall the story of Naboth's vineyard from Kings. Israel's theology of property meant nothing to the Phoenician princess Jezebel. You see, King Ahab, he makes an offer to Naboth, sell me this vineyard or trade with me for another one. And Naboth says, I can't do that. I can't do that. This was inherited from my family and we are tied to this property by divine law. That story tells of an early governmental attack on this social principle. That is, this principle that is, property is intrinsic to the biblical notion of a family. Now governments, according to certain eminent documents, governments were instituted to safeguard individual rights. It's Thomas Jefferson. Governments are instituted to safeguard individual rights. Government tends to give that a fairly wide interpretation. Nowadays, I hardly know uh, where my rights end. Um, I expect any time now, that be, while I'm taking a shower in the morning, that a governmental hand is going to reach through the curtain and adjust my water. Don't you have that fear? They're already telling me how many calories I can have. I'm sure they're looking out for me. Lord Acton says that power tends to corrupt. He doesn't say it's always corrupts, but power tends to corrupt. 
Governments seem ever disposed to weaken this aspect of the family by regarding inheritance as a ready source to be taxed. We've become so accustomed to the inheritance tax that it probably doesn't occur to most of us to examine it critically. In fact, the very notion of an inheritance tax is morally questionable. At least it needs to be looked at and examined. It's morally questionable. The first objection, of course, is that it's a double tax. All that money that's inherited has already been taxed as income of some form or other. So an inheritance tax is really a doubling of the taxation, isn't it? Second, and this one seems to me more, far more serious, an institution of that sort, like even the very notion of making out a will and personally disposing of one's property, these things weaken the intergenerational transmission of a family's identity. An inheritance tax is a direct assault on the meaning of family. That makes no sense to say something like that unless one recalls how property functions in Holy Scripture. One does not own anything. First of all, it all belongs to God. And God has allotted the resources of the earth and the labor of the earth he has allotted this to families so that each generation is not only exercising stewardship with respect to God, each generation is exercising stewardship with respect to his own family. The handing on of property is part and parcel of the handing on of language, handing on of a philosophy a literature, or religion. It's part and parcel of the entire process we call tradition. We hand on what we are. The major tradition in an Orthodox parish is, of course, when you come forward with your arms crossed and open your mouth and receive the body and blood of Christ. That is a tradition. It's something handed on. We've received it from the past. The social unit in the Bible is never the individual. The social unit in the Bible is always the family. 